calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to another episode of Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. My name is Anne Foster, and actually this is not just another episode. This is our Tits Out Holiday Super Special episode. I did one of these last year, and I feel like, well, I feel like I wanted to do another one, frankly. But it's a time of year where I wanted to to give a gift to all of you, the Tits Out Brigade, because it's been a wild year for this podcast. Uh statistically uh there was an increase of according to the analytics i was looking at a 999 percent increase of listeners people from all different countries which is really exciting to me i mean there's already people you know the ogs you know who you are the people who listen to this podcast uh from it started in november 2019 so this has really truly been a, a corona cast really um Anyway, thank you all for listening. This is my gift to you, this episode. And yeah, so just briefly about the whole like people listening from all different countries. What's fun about getting these sort of end of year statistics from Spotify and from other places is I can see where people are listening from. And it's just an ever increasing, I could never uh, list every single country that people are listening from. But I think it's amazing that people are listening from all different places to this podcast and I'm not going to say that this is like literally my goal, but it's something that's on my mind is that I would like to eventually do an episode about a scandalous woman from each and every country where there is a listener. And with that in mind, today we're going to be looking at a woman from Sweden. And so this, this topic was suggested by a friend of the pod, Kim, who is in Sweden, Kim very graciously also helped me out as Swedish cultural consultant because I, I turns out I, until a week or two ago, I knew zero about the history of Sweden. And now I know a little bit, um, thanks to Kim for pointing me in the right direction, but who we're going to be looking at today is princess Cecilia of Sweden. And I want to give you 
a a non-spoiler warning, I guess, which is just like, rest assured, I chose this person to profile in this episode because it's a nice story. She is not at any point thrown in jail. She is not um, executed. She is not, you know, trapped in a tower for 40 years and then slowly dies of self-inflicted starvation. Like, it's it's a good story. Last year, the festive spectacular was Latisse Knowles. And I think this is sort of in a similar vein of just, like, a, a woman who lived hits out and just because of her own uh, tenacity, but also just kind of luck and who she was around, she managed to live to a pretty decent old age um, and not too much. It's not a bummer. The last season I did, like not the Fredigan episodes and stuff, but the season before that, full of bummers. Um, and this is just like a good heartening story, you know, so pour your, your hot beverage in your festive mug, wrap yourself in a blanket, sit by your fire, and let's listen to the story of Princess Cecilia of Sweden. So, the only reference I have for this is Wikipedia, because as it turns out, there are not any easily findable English language records about Cecilia of Sweden, which is a first for me. I've always been able to find a couple, you know, articles, ideally a biography, but this is, luckily, the Wikipedia article has lots of stuff, and then I did a lot of cross-referencing with other Wikipedia articles to learn more about her father and her brothers, the castle we're going to hear about later. So anyway, thank you, Wikipedia. Um, if you're thinking of making some year-end contributions, I personally make a monthly contribution to Wikipedia because they provide information that is useful. So if you, like me, are not familiar with the history of Sweden, we're going to explain a bit because you really need to know the situation and especially about her dad to understand just why she was so cool. So um, her name is, so she's Cecilia of Sweden. So in Swedish, her name is Cecilia Gustav's daughter Vasa. She was born November 16th, 1540 in Stockholm. So she was the daughter of King Gustav I of Sweden and his second queen, Margaret. So who was King Gustav I of Sweden slash what is the history of Sweden as an independent monarchy? So Gustav is considered to rank among the country's greatest kings, arguably the most significant ruler in Swedish history. So well, actually, here's another source I used. So friend of the podcast, Alison Epstein, author of A Tip for the Hangman, which, by the way, is out in paperback now. Great Christmas present. She does a newsletter called Dirtbags Through the Ages, which is very much a companion to this podcast. I think they work really well together, where she writes just kind of about historical dirtbags from the ages. Anyway, I'll put a link to how you can subscribe to this in the show notes. But she, I was telling her when I was researching Cecilia, and then she got hyped about Gustav. So she wrote about Gustav. And so I read her thing about him, and that helped me understand it a bit better. Anyway, so Gustav... So he lived at around the same time as Henry VIII. So just to put this in a time and place, Henry VIII was over in England. Gustav was over in Sweden. Uh, Gustav was not, you know, born a prince who became the king. He kind of like seized the throne in this ski-based coup situation. But so Cecilia is 
the same age-ish, same generation as Queen Elizabeth I. So I just need to mention the, uh, so what happened with Gustav, he, there was this thing called the, um, the Kalmar Union, which was a union of, so it was an agreement that unified Sweden, Denmark, and Norway under a single monarch. Gustav, not a fan of this. Um, various things happened to him, and eventually he just like stopped on his skis and decided to ski to take over and be the new king. And as he went, um, he sort of picked up followers and other people who supported him. So there was just like this crowd of people just like skiing through 16th century Sweden. Um, and then they got there and he basically took over and they went. And then to commemorate this in Sweden, every year um, they hold a cross-country ski race in honor of this. That's called the Vasa Lopet, which means the Vasa race. Because remember, he's, well, he's Gustav Vasa is like his last name. So they ski, as he did, 90 kilometers, brackets, 56 miles. Um, it's the oldest cross-country ski race in the world, as well as the one with the highest number of participants. So this has been, it started in 1922. So ski-based revolution, that's the dad, is Gustav. And so as Kim pointed out, and this is like very important to understand and appreciate, Cecilia's whole deal is that Gustav is like very renowned as like the father of the country. Like, in a very serious sort of way. He's like, I was thinking about how I can compare him, knowing people are listening to this from various countries. Um, I would compare him to like George Washington in the US meets Winston Churchill in England. Like he's not just like a very notable leader um, who did a lot of stuff that was significant, but he's also very serious. Like he's not a party king. So bear that in mind when Cecilia starts doing her thing. This is who her dad is. Um, he also, just at the same time as Henry VIII, he was one who cut ties between Sweden and the Pope slash Catholic religion. Like three months after Henry VIII did the same thing. So the Pope was probably just like, oh, what's going on? Why is everybody like dumping me? The Pope. So he's very important. Um, he was also, again, this is not like the Gustav podcast, but he also is maybe a tyrant and other things. But basically, he's the founding father of the modern Swedish state. He got their independence from the other countries, etc. And he had a daughter called Cecilia. So in fact, he had a lot of children. So his oldest child was Eric. Um, and then that was with his first wife. Then with the second wife, he had several children. I'm going to name them all because most of them become characters in the story. So the oldest. So Eric is the oldest. Then there's Johan, Katerina, Cecilia, uh, Magnus, Anna, Sophia, Elizabeth, and Carl. And just so you know, um, all of the sons except for Magnus go on to become king of Sweden because we get into sort of a bit of a Fredegund type scenario where just like the brothers all want to be king instead of each other, which is interesting to me because you know, the whole Henry VIII being the prime example of this. It's like, oh, I want to have like a lot of sons. I want to have a lot of children. So like the succession is safe. But with Gustav's sons, it's like, well, if you have too many sons, they're all going to fight against and slash kill each other. So do you want to have a lot of sons? I don't know. It's It reminds me of what happened with um, with the Fredegans, 
the men in that where the brothers kept killing each other. Anyway, so Cecilia, part of a big family, and she was the second oldest daughter. So she and her siblings were primarily under the care of, oh, I wanted to say like Kim in Sweden, super big help. I didn't want to be like, can you like tell me how to pronounce every Swedish name? So I'm going to do my best. Um, And I hope all of Sweden is cool with me, maybe pronouncing some things a bit strangely, but I'm doing my best. So Cecilia and her siblings were primarily under the care of her mother's trusted nurse, Brigitte Lars Andersons, her mother's cousin, Lady Margarita, and the noble widow, Ingrid Emmons' daughter. So when Cecilia was 11, her mother died, and then the siblings were placed in the care of basically some other people with cool Swedish names. Eventually, the father got married for a third time. Um, He mostly married for the third time, from what I can tell, just so he would have a mom for the kids, because he didn't have any more children with a third wife, whose name was Katerina. Uh, Growing up, Cecilia was described as the most beautiful of Gustav's daughters. She's frequently mentioned because of her beauty, so sort of like Queen Margot vibes. Not not as much as Queen Margot, where like everyone else was kind of like weird looking, but she was the most beautiful. And I think... I think this is, again, like that Cleopatra thing of like, she was probably, yes, very beautiful. There's portraits and stuff. But I think she also just had like a personality and a charisma that really turned her maybe from an eight into a 10 because you just, she was so captivating. So when she was 16, she and her sisters each had their portraits painted and their personal qualities described in Latin by the court poet, Henricus Mullerus, and they were presented on the dynastic marriage market. So it's like, hey, guess who's eligible to be married now? All the daughters of Gustav. So that same year, so there's like everywhere in this era, the 16th century, like we've got Sweden, but there's a lot of like little kingdoms or not even kingdoms, like just little areas with their own like local rulers. You know, things weren't really like the country borders that we would know now in the 21st century. So part of Sweden is East Frisia, which is a historic region in the northwest of Lower Saxony, Germany. Um, Gustav presented them with a trading treaty and a marriage alliance. So they were basically like, um, who would you like to marry of my two oldest daughters? Um, So Edzard, which is a great name, the Count of East Frisia, visited Sweden to meet Cecilia and her older sister, Katerina, so he could choose which of them he wanted to marry. So like, I guess he saw the portraits, he read about the personal qualities and he's like, I can't decide. So he met the two sisters and he decided to choose to marry Katerina, the older sister. So she was 19, Edzard was 26. At this point, Cecilia is 18. So Katerina and Edzard got married in Stockholm in 1559. And then they left to go to East Frisia, which is where he was from. So they were accompanied by Katerina's sister, Cecilia, and Edzard's brother, Johan. So Johan is 20 years old. Cecilia is 18 years old. So it's just kind of this like double date. Well, not double date because, I mean, Johan and Cecilia are just there as siblings. They're not another couple. Or are they? So they all went and they stayed at Vadstina Castle, which is... Uh, I'm going to tell you a bit about Vadstina Castle because it's interesting and it's still a place you can go and visit. So it's in Vadstina, which is a place in Sweden, um, in the province of Ostergotland in Sweden. 
So Vadstina Castle had been built, so what are we, it's 1559. So construction of it began in 1545 as a fortress to protect Stockholm. Um, the fortress consisted of three smaller stone buildings, ramparts, a courtyard, a moat, and four circular cannon turrets. Um, so actually, when Gustav got married for the third time, he married Katerina in Vadstina. In fact, one of the castle's banqueting halls is called the Wedding Hall, although the construction wasn't finished in time for the wedding. And then it was changed from a fortress into a habitable castle. And so Magnus, who is one of the brothers, he is, so there's Eric, Johan, Katerina, Cecilia, Magnus. So he's like two years younger than Cecilia. So Magnus became the Duke of Ostergotland, and that's where he lived, and so that is where they went to stay with him, and this kind of sounds like currently still under construction. Um, fortress turned castle. So the double date siblings pairs went to Vadstina Castle to hang out with Magnus, their brother. So Magnus, a note on Prince Magnus. He was 16 years old at this time. Um, Duke of Ostergotland, he was, he will become, spoiler, the only son of Gustav who didn't eventually become king of Sweden. Um, and why is that? Because he's older than some of the other boys, but it's because he had a mental illness. Um, not sure what that was like. Again, not a lot of English language sources about this. So eventually, I don't know if it's like, he just had some issues where eventually like his fiefs were taken over by his brother um, who managed him as a guardian because of Magnus's like mental condition. I don't know if it's like head injury or if it's like, you know, some sort of like thing that presented later in life. Many ballads and stories were inspired by Magnus and his alleged interest in mythological creatures such as fairies. There are many stories about quote, the mad duke. For instance, about how he saw a mermaid in the castle moat and threw himself out a window, nearly drowning himself. There's no proof that this event ever took place, but the story might have evolved from an incident where he fell in the moat during the construction of the castle drawbridge. So that's Magnus, and that's Vadstina Castle. But now it's time for what happens at Vadstina Castle. So we've got 16-year-old Magnus in his like fortress room castle and his two sisters are there along with Edzard and Johan. And it is here that the first major scandal of Cecilia's life occurred known as Vadstina Bulret, AKA the Vadstina Thunder. Now this is a scandal with a name. This is where I, I was already like into the Cecilia situation, but like the Vadstina Bulret, it's like, how, you know, all the political scandals now are called, like, whatever gate after Watergate. Like, this is, like, a scandal so major, it got a name, which is the Vadstina Bulrit. The Vadstina Thunder, and here's what happened. So, before this totally not double date honeymoon scenario, Gustav had been reluctant to let Cecilia come along on this little trip. Maybe he knew that she was already kind of, like, a mischievous person. Um, there were at the time negotiations of a marriage between her, um, and Georg Johann of Palatine Valdens. I don't know who or what that is. He wanted her to return early and not go on this like cool teens road trip. Um, he also asked Katerina and Edzard to remain in Sweden for the winter. 
Um, but they're just like, we're cool teens. We're going to go on a trip, whatever. So whilst at Vadstina Castle, the palace guards observed a man climbing in through the window of Cecilia's bedroom. This happened four times in a row. So like presumably four nights in a row after I love that they waited. They're like, Ooh, did a, did a man just climb to the window of the princess's bedroom? Like maybe, but like, let's just see if it happens again. It happens again. It happens again. So after the fourth time, they informed uh, Prince Eric, her eldest brother, who I guess was there too, at Vedstina. Um, so then he, Eric was like, what do I do? So he asked Magnus and his courtiers to advise him, which is wild because he's like, Magnus, you're 16 years old. What should we do? So they decided to keep Cecilia's window under guard. So the man in question could not be in a position to deny the matter if he was caught. So they, they sprang, a, a trap was sprung so then the same thing happened again um, on the night of December 13th. Eric sent guards to arrest the man. So when they entered Cecilia's bedroom, they discovered it was not just any man. It was, in fact, the groom's brother, Johan. And he was in the bedroom without his trousers on, which I don't think people wore trousers at this time. I think they more like a doublet and hose. So but basically sounds like nude from the waist down whatever sorts of trousers he was wearing eric had johan imprisoned interrogated him and then sent him to gustav to decide what to do so gustav who's remember this like george washington slash winston churchill very serious father of sweden he ordered johan to be imprisoned in a different castle um three days later katarina and edzard remember they're married they were sent to a third other castle and placed under house arrest. I'm not sure why, like, because they like help facilitate this in some way, I guess. Um, Eric and Cecilia herself were both recalled to Stockholm, I guess, to be yelled at or something. Cecilia, um, at this point accused her father of having beaten her and ripped her hair off. I, again, without a secondary source that is equally possible and not possible, Gustav was a very serious man, you know, like he skied for whatever it was, 90 kilometers. Like he's, if his daughter did this Vadstina Bullrit, like he might've freaked out at her in a physical abusive way. Um, he was mad at everybody, basically, Gustav. He accused, he was mad at Katerina. He was mad at Eric, the brother, for not having restrained Cecilia as they should because they're her older siblings. Um, he was also mad at Eric for having caused a scandal by his way of handling the whole affair by like ignoring it um, and then exposing it in public. He wanted, I guess, Eric to just like go not bring guards in and stuff, but just to like, you know, reprimand Cecilia. Anyway, Gustav, not impressed with his children's handling of the Vadstina Bullrit. Uh, Katerina, the oldest sister, she was allowed to see the king that subsequent June. She acted as a mediator and tried to issue... She tried to get free because remember she was in um, house arrest and so was her husband and so was her husband's brother, the one with the trousers down, Johan. Katerina also protested against the confiscation of Cecilia's jewelry. Wow. So part of Cecilia's punishment for this whole thing was to have her jewelry confiscated. Pretty major. Um, Katerina also asked her stepmother, also named Katerina, to, to speak for them and to defend them. It sounds like Katerina, the older, did do that as well. Everyone's just like begging, pleading Gustav. Like, can we just let everybody 
basically everybody. Your children, your children's spouses, the in-laws. Can we just like release all these hot young teens from jail in general? Um, yeah. So Johan, again, trousers down Johan, had he was the something of East Frisia. Um, you know, he had connections. So his mother sent ambassadors to Sweden to try and negotiate Johan's release. Um, Eric suggested that Cecilia and Johan be forced to marry each other, but Gustav did not like the idea. Um, and then that, yeah, the same summer, eventually after all of this negotiation and mediation, Johan was released after having been forced to swear before Gustav and the Royal Council, nothing sexual had taken place between him and Cecilia, despite him having been in her room five nights in a row with trousers down. And maybe it didn't. I don't know. Um, Who's to say? Did Cecilia welcome him into her room? Also don't know. What we see of her later, I feel like she probably was cool with it. Um, And then Cecilia's brothers, like they wanted to say like nothing had happened between Johan and Cecilia. So they stamped a coin. This is like a pretty major thing. Like it's again on par with like skiing to take over a country. So her brothers came together they made, had a coin made. I don't know if it was just one coin or like if this was like a circulating coin lots of people could have. Anyway, the coin pictured Cecilia as the biblical heroine Susanna in the bath, which the meaning of this coin was to say that Cecilia was as innocent as the legendary Susanna in the Bible. So if you don't know that story, side note on Susanna in the Bible. So Susanna and the Elders is a story that's in the book of Daniel in the Bible. So I'm not a biblical scholar by any means, but I know that there's some stories that are like in some religions accept them. And then there's some stories that like some religions don't accept them. There's like Apocrypha, which are like, anyway, so Susanna and the Elders is a story. So it is accepted as part of the Bible by the Roman Catholic an Eastern Orthodox Church, but not by the Protestants. It is not included in the Hebrew Bible and is not mentioned in early Jewish literature. So like who wrote this story? We don't know. But this is a story. So as, oh, also this is a story that um, my favorite painter, Artemisia Gentileschi, um, memorably painted. She did a lot of paintings of kind of what I would call tits out heroines of the Bible, Artemisia Gentileschi. Anyway, who was also around, I feel like, not at the same time as Cecilia, but shortly after. So this is the story. Susanna, she lives in ancient Bible times. She's bathing in her garden, because that is how you bathe in ancient Bible times. She sent her attendants away, and she's just like bathing nude in her garden. Two elders, like two old men, uh, bump into each other when they spy on her bathing. So these two men are just like, oh, hey, you're here also, like, spying on Susanna bathing. Like, haha, what a coincidence. Uh, they both lust for Susanna. When she makes her way back to the house after bathing, they grab her and demand she have sex with them. When she refuses, they have her arrested, claiming that the reason she sent her maids away was to be alone as she was having sex with a young man under a tree. But in fact, she sent her maids away so she could bathe by herself and just, like, have some peace and quiet. She refuses to be blackmailed and is arrested and is about to be put to death for adultery when young Daniel 
interrupts the proceedings, shouting that the elders should be questioned to prevent the death of an innocent. So the two men are separated and are cross-examined about details about what they saw. But it's like in that um, improv game. So you have to make something up and hope that it matches with what the other person said. So the thing is that they disagree about, because remember they said like Susanna was having sex with a man under a tree. And then both the men were asked like, well, what kind of tree was it? And the first says that it was a mastic tree. And the second says they're under an evergreen oak tree. Um, and these two trees are wildly different sizes. So it made it obvious that the two men were lying. Um, the two men are put to death. Virtue triumphs. Susanna is cool. And so the brothers are basically saying, Cecilia is as innocent as Susanna in the Bible. Here's a coin that says so. So I guess that made everyone agree. And that is the Vodstina Bullrut. So... You know, the years go by. Gustav passes away. I think of like a leg infection or something, not especially heroic. The king is now Eric, the oldest brother of Cecilia. Cecilia still not married. So her next youngest sister is Anna. And they were supposed to be married off to two men from influential German families. But because of the Vodstina Bullrit, um, Georg Johann of Palatine Valdez chose Anna over Cecilia because Cecilia was kind of like scandalous and he didn't want that in a wife. In 1561, she was proposed by the Earl of Arundel, not Arundel from Frozen, a movie that takes place in Norway. I looked that up because I was like, wait, is this? Because I read about Arundel. I'm like, wait, was Frozen inspired by oldie times Sweden? No. Frozen inspired by early times, Norway. Anyway, so Cecilia is proposed to by the Earl of Arundel, brackets, not the one from Frozen. Although maybe that Arundel is Norway. It's spelled differently from Arundel and Frozen. But that was where I was like, wait a minute, what's this Frozen connection? Anyway, Cecilia's like, I'm cool. I will accept this proposal of the Earl of Arundel, but Eric who's the king slash her brother, you know, he has to prove who she marries. He does not agree. Cecilia um, is then proposed to by the Polish magnate Count Johann Tensiski. Eric liked the idea, and according to Cecilia, he forced her to agree, but these plans also do not materialize. So Cecilia, age now 23, so that's like seven years post Vodstina Bullrut, is found to be by Eric to be having a party in her rooms with her sister, um, I don't know if it would be Anna if she was married by this point or if it was the next youngest sister, Sophia or Elizabeth. Basically, all of them. So, Cecilia, 23 years old, living her best life, partying in her room with her sisters. Um, the two of them fought. Due to this incident and Vodstina Bullrut, Eric issues a new protocol for the royal court in which his sisters were to be placed under a more strict observation to prevent them from damaging the reputation. Um... So they weren't allowed to leave the palace at night or early morning, and they couldn't accept guests at night or letters without permission. And this is like the 12 dancing princesses, but just three princesses, but also dancing and being told to stop. Um, Eric accused Cecilia of mixing with questionable people. His rules also banned the princesses from receiving supplicants. They were forbidden from meddling in politics on behalf of people or to any way interfere in affairs of state. Um, Cecilia, Anna, and Sophia, the sisters, had sent a letter of protest to Eric. 
the same year regarding the imprisonment of their brother Johan. Oh, so Johan was the guy trousers down, but then same name, Johan, also their brother. So the thing is that Johan, their brother, um, basically wanted to be king instead of Eric. So he was rebelling or scheming against Eric, so he was put in jail. Cecilia, Anna, and Sophia, they're all on team Johan, so they sent a letter of protest to Eric being like, please free our brother Johan from jail. And this is where Eric is like, I made a new rule where princesses can't do anything. So it might have been like that was part of why he made the rule. Cecilia protested openly towards these regulations because they were bullshit. And I think you're getting a sense right now that she did not have any time for this sort of bullshit. One year later, age 24, Cecilia was married to Christoph II of Baden-Rodemachern, who is three years older than her. His job was he was the Margrave of Baden-Rodemachern. What is a Margrave? A Margrave was originally the medieval title for the military commander assigned to maintain the defense of one of the border provinces of the Holy Roman Empire or of a kingdom. That position became hereditary in certain feudal families in the empire, and the title came to be borne by rulers of some imperial principalities. So he's a Margrave. I think I said Margrave. That was a typo that I then said out loud. Margrave is the name of his. So it's like a title, the same with an earl or count or duke is, basically. So Cecilia, age 24, married to Christoph. They were married in a far less luxurious ceremony than that of her sister. And their match seems to have taken place without much negotiation. So I think maybe because Cecilia is such a scandalous person, Eric was just happy to find someone to marry her off to. There seems to not have been any political purpose behind the marriage, which is interesting. So was it a love match or was Eric just kind of like, I just need to marry you to someone. I don't know this guy. Um, Christoph seems like not a very good husband slash person. So after the marriage, he returned to Rodemachern where he's the Margrave, where he built himself a palace and led a wasteful life. So, um, but everything got interesting again when Cecilia and Christoph were sent on an official state visit to England. So the official purpose of this visit was Cecilia was to negotiate to try and convince Queen Elizabeth to marry her brother Eric. And so Cecilia had been corresponding with Elizabeth, sort of his pen pals for a while. They were like similar age, both got along, I guess. Um, so she arrived in the autumn of 1565, having traveled 400 miles by water and 750 miles on ice and snow to visit Queen Elizabeth. So they'd been in correspondence for several years. Cecilia seems to have felt admiration for her on a personal level. Um, to prep for this, she had spent three years learning to speak English from English people who were in Sweden. I think it was like Cecilia and Elizabeth were pen pals slash friends. And then because of this, Eric was like, ooh, I can leverage this to get Cecilia to negotiate a marriage contract between Elizabeth and me, Eric. So, but en route to England, Cecilia managed to sneak off to meet her imprisoned brother, Johan. Um, Eric already kind of knew that she was probably more loyal to Johan than to him. So he got his governor to keep her under supervision. Um, but she kept a sort of like 
doing some like secret spy business as she was like making her way to England. So in the Duchy of Prussia, she asked the Duke to work with a Danish monarch to free Johan, and he agreed to do that. Then she went to East Frisia to visit her sister Katerina, where they also talked about Johan and how to free Johan. Um, after Cecilia left, Katerina sent Eric a furious letter about how he's keeping Johan in prison. So Cecilia's just like stirring up shit en route to England. Um, when she got to London, she was allowed to stay in Bedford House in London. So she was welcomed by Francis Sidney, the Countess of Sussex, and Mildred Cook, the second wife of William Cecil. Or was that Cecil? This is where it's like, wait a minute. So we've been talking about Cecilia, Swedish people, Arendelle, self-contained group of people who I was learning all about. But this is where Cecilia becomes like a self-insert fanfic character into the court of Elizabeth. Like we're going to hear about a bunch of people you already know about. So this this part for me, I was like, oh, thank God. I, I know some of this stuff. So Cecilia made her formal entrance to London on September 11th, 1565, dressed in black velvet trimmed with silver. Amazing. Surrounded by her ladies-in-waiting dressed in red. Wait, picture this. This is like Lady Gaga Met Gala. So Cecilia arrives, beautiful, black velvet trimmed with silver, surrounded by ladies-in-waiting dressed in red. This is like festive, wintry glamour. Um, and the friends. So Elizabeth came to visit Cecilia at Bedford House. Um, according to the Spanish ambassador, Cecilia and Elizabeth got along very nicely. They visited, they like became instant BFFs. They were pen pals and now they're real life friends. They visited weddings and dinners together. That Christmas, 1565, Cecilia, they went to Christmas mass. And you know, in um, when you receive communion, you get like the little bread at church. Usually the priest gives it, but guess what? Cecilia received communion directly after Elizabeth. So that was like pretty major that she was right after her. Um, you might be wondering, what about her husband, Christoph, who sucks? So Christoph was given an allowance as long as he allowed Cecilia to remain in England. So he was like, great. I like money for gambling and wasteful living. Um, so he was cool with all this. So... She gave birth to her first child while she was in England, and Elizabeth, she let Elizabeth name him. So Cecilia's first child is called Edward Fortunatus, which is like, now we know what Elizabeth would have named a son if she had a son. Um, at his christening, Elizabeth carried the baby. So I feel like, I don't know if she was specifically the godmother, but these two are like close as close can be. Um, but remember how... The purpose of this was supposed to be Cecilia visits to convince Elizabeth to marry her brother. Like, she basically did not do that at all. She was just like, I'm going to hang with my bestie and just wear glamorous outfits and be in England. And who cares? So I, which I, I love this. I love, this is a great Cecilia moment where she's just like sent there officially on Swedish court business. But I think it's like she wanted to visit Elizabeth. But then she found a way to make it be a work trip. So then Eric let her go. But then she like didn't do the work at all. Um, she was also sent there to try and recruit English pirates to attack hostile Danish, German, and Polish ships on the Baltic Sea. Um, did she do that? Maybe. Not sure. Didn't say Wikipedia. But we're getting into some piracy stuff, which is like going to be great. So... 
Um, so Christmas, christening, January, um, Eric gave her an additional task of negotiating an alliance between Sweden and England to assist Sweden in its attempt to have peace in the war between Sweden and Denmark. There are conflicting reports as to how she managed these negotiations. So again, like, did she care about that or was she just like too busy, like just being besties with Elizabeth and hanging out? I feel like the latter. Anyway, um, so there are some reports that she did like try to be like, hey, Elizabeth, you want to marry my brother, Eric, who like I hate. Um, so allegedly, maybe she tried to go through Robert Dudley, Elizabeth's we all know this boy toy slash unrequited lover. So I guess she'd be like, Hey, Robert Dudley, can you tell Elizabeth to marry my brother, Eric, who I hate? And Robert Dudley would be like, no. And she'd be like, okay, I tried. So Cecilia's own agenda included trying to get Elizabeth to interfere in the matter of Johan still in jail. Um, and in fact, Elizabeth wrote to Eric and asked him to release Johan. Cecilia was also in contact with the Spanish ambassador at the English court because Christoph's lands were partially placed in Spanish Luxembourg. But then the friendship, much like Samantha on Sex and the City, just kind of ends here. So the relationship between Cecilia and Elizabeth was damaged because of Cecilia's close contact with the Spanish ambassador and because of the scandals caused by her debts. Debts? Yes. So Cecilia acquired enormous debts because she felt it was necessary to live a certain lifestyle according to her status at court. Like she is a princess, the wife of a margrave. Um, so she was spending beyond her means. Um, Christoph, so she'd been in England for um, basically a year. And then Christoph was forced to leave for Germany in an attempt to borrow money for her so she could keep buying, I don't know, furs and jewels or whatever. Her greatest creditors were people, these two men, George North and Johann Diamond. She also used the Dr. Cornelius Altenatus, who borrowed her money and pawned things for her. So she, I guess, spent a lot of money on furs and jewels and then got this guy to sell them so she could have more money to buy more furs and jewels or something. Um, Altenatus, Altenatus had previously been exiled from court by Elizabeth for trying to convince her that he could make basically straw into gold. Um, Elizabeth imprisoned him after he violated her order not to have anything to do with Cecilia. So maybe she was like, oh no, my poor little innocent friend Cecilia is being scammed by this guy. But in fact, Cecilia was using this guy to pawn her stuff so she could rack up more debts. And then, so that was November. The subsequent March, Christoph returned to England in secret and tried to abduct Cecilia to free her from the creditors, but was discovered and put in prison by the creditors. Elizabeth had him freed, but this definitively ended the friendship between Cecilia and the queen when Elizabeth realized that Cecilia was kind of a grifter and kind of a mess, and she didn't need that in her life at that time, which, like, fair. Elizabeth had a lot going on at this time. This is, like, early in her reign. All the, like, guys are trying to make her not be queen anymore. She's got a lot going on. Um... So one month later, Cecilia pawned her jewelry and wardrobe to finance their return trip to Baden, Baden, where Christoph is from, where he's the Margrave. But they were stopped in Dover. Most of their luggage was confiscated in the names of their creditors, North and Diamond. Um, not only was Cecilia and Christoph's luggage confiscated, but also that of Cecilia's ladies-in-waiting, who had no debts. And Cecilia and her courtiers 
regarded themselves as having been subjects of theft, which they kind of were. She was pregnant again at this point. And when she finally reached Rhoda Macron, her son, Christopher Gustav, was born um, with some birth issues. He had some handicaps. And she blamed the creditors for this for the rest of her life, for having, I don't know, I guess stressed her out during pregnancy. And then, so what is she going to do next? So this is like a month-to-month saga at this point. So that was April. Um, let's see. So they returned to baden Rodemakern, where she stayed for five years. There were religious wars in the Netherlands. Um, let's see. There was economic distress because of this. And then... In 1569, the second half of Baden, so she's in baden Rodemakern, but the other half of Baden is Baden-Baden, was inherited by Christoph's young nephew and placed under the rule of his Catholic relative, Albert V of Bavaria, who treated Protestants with brutality. That same year, her brother Eric was assassinated and Johann, who's been in prison this whole time, took over as king. Um, Cecilia wrote to her brother Johan, who became Johan III of Sweden and stated that she feared for her safety because of like all the wars and stuff and asked for permission to return to Sweden permission granted so Cecilia and Christoph returned to Kalmar in Sweden um, but do you know who else had also just arrived? Johan Diamond her creditor had just arrived with a fleet of 50 ships the guy who had um, confiscated her property and that of the ladies-in-waiting. So she was given permission from Johan to arrest him. Um, His fleet was then confiscated, and he spent five years in prison. So, like, big mistake, huge type moment. Uh, Christoph then left Sweden. um, to. He promised Johan he would provide Sweden with mercenaries to help with her ongoing war with Russia, but in fact, he did not do that, and Kristoff, in fact, never returned. So, like, good riddance, I guess. He just peaced out at this whole situation. So, in Sweden, Cecilia was granted the city of Arboga as her personal fief. I guess all of her, like, the stuff she did for her brother Johan now that he's king, like, this is all paying off. Because remember, she was trying to get people to support him, she was writing letters, and so Johan gave her a city, so she called herself the Countess of Arboga. Arboga. She had the authority to manage the trading policy and the legal system and see to it that royal laws were respected. And she also managed certain taxation on import and export. Um, so one of her missions in Sweden was to have her dowry finally paid to her because when she married Kristoff, she was supposed to have gotten, I forget, with some huge amount of Swedish currency. Or like she and Kristoff were supposed to have gotten that, but she'd never got it. Johan III could not afford to do so, um, but in lieu of money, he gave her a fleet of ships as a part payment of the dowry. And what did Cecilia do? She became a pirate queen. So she used these fleets of ships to attack ships on the Baltic Sea. Johan had several licenses issued to pirates on the Baltic Sea with permission to attack ships on their way to Russia. Um, to disturb Russian trade during the war between Sweden and Russia. Cecilia came into conflict with Johan because she violated her permission by also attacking ships from friendly nations like Danish people, and this created tension between Sweden and Denmark. So this, the lesson of this is, like, don't give Cecilia a fleet of pirate ships and expect her to follow the rules, which, again, I love about her. 
so then a plot was prepared by a guy called Charles de Mornay to assassinate Johann, who is the king slash her brother. This, so Charles de Mornay was also, fun fact, the guy who back in the day had been the one who caught Cecilia with pants down Johann in the Valdina bull threat. Oh, I forget how you say it. Anyway, in the Valdina thunder scandal. So anyway, this guy's been around for a while, Charles de Mornay. Um, he was in contact with Christina of Denmark and the French ambassador in Copenhagen, and they wanted to assassinate Johann for various reasons. Their plan was that Johann would be killed during a swords dance performed by Scottish mercenaries um, before the Scottish mercenaries depart to the Baltic. I'm not sure if they're going to come in and dance with swords and then with the swords, then kill him with the swords, but that's what I imagine they mean. After the assassination, the plan was that Charles de Mornay, who had been the favorite of Eric, would be placed upon the throne as the new king. Um... However, the plot did not materialize because, I don't know, the dancers did not, whatever. This did not happen. Then the plot was revealed. Charles de Mornay was arrested, interrogated, and executed. It was never made clear who participated in the plot, but it is noted that suspected conspirators often gathered at meetings in the apartment of Princess Elizabeth, who is one of Cecilia's sisters. And Cecilia herself had frequently been seen at these meetings, um, so Cecilia and her sister Elizabeth and their brother Charles were somewhat compromised because they were maybe involved in this scheme, although they were never accused. So I don't know, like Cecilia like rode hard for, um, Johan for a long time, but if she was mad about him over the piracy stuff, uh, anyway, clearly she's turned against him. So Johan suspected her to have prepared a rebellion against him. Um, in 1573, he gave order that Cecilia was not to be allowed in Stockholm Castle during his absence. And in 1574, after the plot had been exposed, he gave orders to governors in Ostergotland to keep Cecilia under watch and not to let her have access to any royal castle. So this is a part where it's like, if, had she been male or had um, women been allowed to inherit the throne, like I feel like Cecilia would have maybe seized it herself but instead she's just kind of like supporting people just kind of freelance chaos just like whatever's best for her she's like pirate ex-best friends of the queen she's just like living her best life and this is where i was like what a great story um 1575 christoph her husband remember him he just like peaced out forever he died so now she's a widow so her young son edward fortunatus remember who elizabeth named formerly succeeded him as the Margrave of Baden-Rodemachern. Um, but he was in Sweden, so it's like in absence. He's the Margrave in absence. According to the marriage contract, Cecilia was allowed to be regent should her son succeed while still a child, which happened. But after Christoph dies, her in-laws had documents which secured her, which got, which confiscated her rights um, and took control over the entire place, Baden Rodemachern, officially as guardians and regents of her son, Cecilia, not going to accept that. So she sent representatives to secure her rights, but the representatives were turned away and her authority as regent was not acknowledged. At the same time, in a wild plot twist that makes us all go like, wait, what? Um, Elizabeth, former best friend, offered Cecilia, newly widowed, um, the hand in marriage of Elizabeth's boyfriend, Robert Dudley, the Earl of Leicester. What is going on? So um, 
Cecilia was advised to decline by Johan, and she, even though she was like scheming against him, also turned down. But also, she's just like, why? No, I don't want to marry Elizabeth's favorite. Like, what is happening? Why did Elizabeth turn to her former bestie to try and marry off Robert Dudley? Well, in a fun connection to last year's festive holiday spectacular, this was around the same time the rumors about Robert and Latisse were heating up. In fact, three years later, Robert married Latisse. So this was the same time, if you've listened to that episode, where Robert like had this big party for Elizabeth at this castle where he like flirted with Latisse, who was pregnant anyway. So this is like a crossover moment where basically I think Elizabeth wanted to nullify the Robert Latisse situation. And she's like, well, what if I marry him to Cecilia, my ex bestie? But that did not happen, obviously. Um, Cecilia then converted to Catholicism as a way to secure her and her son's rights to the domains of Christoph. And then um, two years later, Spanish ambassador arrived in Sweden um, because Johan, still the king, wanted to make an alliance with Spain. There's just a lot happening here in countries about which history I know very little. But So it's all about the Swedish war against Russia. Basically, he wanted Spanish assistance. Um, so he suggested that Cecilia, who is now a Catholic, could be made governor in one of the Spanish lands in Europe, preferably Luxembourg. So Cecilia invited the ambassador to Arboga, where she lives, and started her own negotiations with him. She didn't want Johann's negotiation. She's going to negotiate this herself. She supported the plans of making her Spanish governor and offered her pirate fleet. Remember, they're still hanging around. Like, she has a pirate fleet. She offered them to serve in the Spanish War in the Netherlands. Um, but this caused a conflict with her Protestant brother, Charles, who began to attack her fleet with his own. So now it's like sibling versus sibling pirate battles. Um, Cecilia acted as a valuable informant to Spain. When Johann's negotiations with Spain failed, he became suspicious of what Cecilia was up to, and like rightfully so, because she was definitely going behind his back, getting things figured out for herself. Um, Johann had the Spanish ambassador placed in house arrest and banned him from any contact with Cecilia. I love how every time any of her brothers find out Cecilia's doing something, they just like try and like ban Cecilia from doing stuff, ban Cecilia from seeing people, because it's like whenever she talks to anyone, like shit goes down. Like she was. Again, I'm getting Cleopatra vibes. She's just like clearly so persuasive and charismatic. Um, however, Cecilia bribed her way into Stockholm in secret and attempted to see the ambassador. Um, she was caught. Cecilia and her retinue were captured by the guard and brought to Johan, which caused, quote, a great scene between the siblings. Shortly after, Cecilia went to Germany um, and so did, and the Spanish ambassador was exiled. So, and when I say she returned to Germany, I mean she returned to baden rodemachern because she wanted to take control of her lands um, and wrest control of the place from her relatives in the name of her young son. So, hold on. I didn't tell you the name of the Spanish ambassador. His name is Francisco de Ireso. And I said that he was exiled but here's what I just misinterpreted, and I'm just going to explain to you now, which is they actually left together. So, in fact, Francisco and Cecilia lived together in Baden for a time before he continued on his way to Spain. During this time, she gave birth to a daughter, 
which caused a scandal as she had by that time been a widow for four years. So clearly the father was Francisco. So the daughter was placed in a convent by Edward Fortunatus against Cecilia's will. So even though that's his sister, Edward Fortunatus was just like, oh, let's just like stow her away. Um, she was not allowed to see the daughter again for a really long time, um, like decades. The daughter took the vows, like became a nun, and is known only by her nun name, Charitas. So we don't know what name Cecilia gave her daughter she had with the Spanish ambassador. So that just casts everything I just said about her and the Spanish ambassador in a whole new light, which was like, let me just look at this again. I'm just rereading the whole paragraph. So Johan wanted, so the Spanish ambassador arrived, Johan wanted Cecilia to negotiate with him. Clearly they became lovers and then Cecilia started looking for her own best interests. What a story, honestly. So yeah. Um, in the struggle against Christoph's family slash her in-laws, Cecilia was supported by Johann, um, but her other brother, Charles, broke with her after the birth of Charitas because I guess that was just one scandal too many for him or something. But also it's just kind of like, which of her brothers supports her? Which of her brothers does she support? This just keeps fluctuating like it does in families. So she had her sons placed in the care of Jesuits, because remember, she's Catholic now too. But her alliance with Spain eventually made her lose the support of Johan as well. In 1581, he refused to let her back into Sweden. Cecilia lived on the income of her Swedish estate, but then this, like her estate was confiscated by Johan in 1585 because she opposed his marriage to someone called Gunilla Bielke. Why did she oppose the marriage of her brother to Gunilla Bielke? Because Gunilla was a noblewoman, but not a princess, and Cecilia and the other siblings felt it was inappropriate for a king to marry a non-royal person. Let's see. So her son, Edward Fortunatus, came of age, and he took control of Baden-Rodemachern. He confiscated Cecilia's lands. Um... He also amassed a lot of debts. Cecilia, by the way, has been continuing to amass lots of debts here because that is just the lifestyle in which she lives. She became a diplomat. Um, she courted various Catholic power holders on behalf of herself and her son in economical and political matters. So she's just traveling around being sort of a freelance diplomat trying to get, I guess, money and power for her son. In 1596, this is like eight years later, Edward Fortunatus was deposed by other family members. Again, similar to what happened with the marriage with Gunilla. So Edward Fortunatus married Maria von Eichen, which was an unequal marriage. Um, family members were so mad about that slash about him being Catholic that they, some Protestant family members deposed him. So Cecilia continued trying to do the best for her and for her son. She's described as a talented diplomat with a great wit and verbal talent. I mean, I think we know. I think we know that she is very convincing in whatever she wants. Um, so let's see. In 1613, she addressed the Imperial German Roman Assembly in Regensburg in favor of her second son, Philip, who had been imprisoned by the Protestants in Baden. Just a lot of drama happening in Baden. Cecilia, it says here, was often successful as she secured favorable sentences in her favor. Like she was 
I think she would have been a very successful lawyer, frankly. She's just very persuasive. Um, let's see. She secured favorable sentences in her favor, but as the sentences could not be carried out, they were of little practical value. I'm not sure what that means, but it said that on Wikipedia. She was a target of Protestant propaganda for her conversion to Catholicism and political activity. The most known slander against her was a story by Everhard van Reed. He claimed that she hosted a brothel in Antwerp and that her son had to drag her from it by her hair. She's also compared to the Empress Messalina, who I talked about a bit in the Agrippina episode. Remember, there was a whole thing about, like, did she have a contest with a courtesan about who could have sex with more people in a day, etc. So, you know, powerful woman. People are like, oh, but she's like, does sex things. And that means that she's bad. Like, we've seen and heard that before. Whatever. Cecilia was forced to support herself by loans due to her lack of income um, and therefore was often hunted by creditors. Um, in 1618, her estate was taken and she fled by carriage to make contact with the Archbishop of Trier in Luxembourg to escape her prosecutors or her persecutors. She was literally forced to abandon her carriage and jump over the border to Lorraine. Upon the outbreak of the Thirty Years' War, let's see. At this point, the Protestant line of the Baden dynasties, the people who had taken over from her son, were deposed by the imperial army and her grandson as a Catholic, so I'm not sure, the son of either Philip or Edward Fortunatus, was allowed to take control over the entire territory of Baden, so more power for her lineage. Cecilia was therefore allowed to return to her estate in Rodemachern and spent her last years in comfort there as the grandmother of the margrave i assume still she passed away age 86 and is buried under the floor in the church in rodemachern and that is the saga of princess cecilia the princess pirate diplomat truly scandalous legend i mean frankly my i don't know a lot about swedish history but at this point my favorite person from swedish history um, the saga of the Vadstina Bullret, which is a great, you know, I love a scandal with a name. So we need to score her on the Fredegund Memorial Scandalousness Scale. Scandaliciousness is the first category on the Scandaliciousness Scale. Now, instinctively, I feel like 10, like, come on, but I want to, like, think this through. So the evidence we have of her, I mean, there's Vadstina Bullret, major scandal, we have the way that she was going behind the back of her brothers all the time to um, wheeling and dealing. That's kind of more scheminess and scandaliciousness. There is, I don't know, you know, scandaliciousness, like a 10 in scandaliciousness. That's really for people who like um, murder somebody or who like, um, you know, some sort of con artistry. But she was, in contrast, to her father, like just the fact that her father, like again, picture Gustav is this like George Washington, Winston Churchill hybrid, the father of Sweden. And she's just like, I'm just going to like go be a princess pirate slash do whatever the fuck I want my whole life. Let's get, you know what? And it's Christmas and I'm in a good mood. So I'm giving her a 10, 10 for scandaliciousness to Princess Cecilia because she's like icon status to me right now. Her scheminess, I think is also very high, like literal scheminess like she was friends with elizabeth and then she was able to get 
like a business trip to England, but then she didn't do the business she was supposed to do. And then she just like was kind of grifting Elizabeth. And then the way that she like, then she got a pirate fleet and then she kind of went rogue with her pirate fleet. Like her scheminess, I feel like it was pretty high. And then also all the like diplomacy and stuff. Like she was scheming every day she was alive for 80 whatever years. Where I feel like she's going to lose some points or not gain lots of points is in significance. Because again, Kim, my Swedish cultural advisor, I was like, oh, but how do we feel about her for significance? And Kim is like, I don't. Yeah, I mean, like, her grandson became the Margrave of baden Rodemakern, which is, like, cool. Um, I feel like the chaos that she sowed was pretty iconic, but in terms of, like, significance of, you know, world events, like, if she had married Robert Dudley, that would have been pretty major. She didn't. Like, I don't feel her significance number is super high, and that's nothing against her. I just don't in my heart very high but like in actuality i'm gonna give her a significance of like five because just the chaos she sowed in all of these wars happening sweden russia like i'm sure there was an effect but like the long-term significance of her i don't i don't see it the sexism bonus is as per ever this is interesting to consider because like kim said like if she had been a man like she would have been king no question. Like she would have like usurped, she would have strapped on her skis like her dad and just like taken over. But she was a woman, so she couldn't be a king. Um, her brothers kept like making rules so she couldn't just like have a good time. At the same time, I feel like she still did a lot of cool stuff. Like the sexism did not super get in her way the way it did for like SD or like people who were really inhibited from doing stuff like Cecilia was like oh you're gonna just like make these rules against me I'll just find a loophole and whatever convince like another country to make you forgive me I feel like her sexism I'm gonna give her a 6.5 for sexism and frankly I just remembered vis-a-vis scandaliciousness of course she deserves a 10 she ran off with a Spanish ambassador and had a daughter with her with him like her scandaliciousness score, I feel like it's Christmas, but also I think that she deserves and gets a 10. So this gives her, oh, uh, why did I give 6.5? It's harder to add. So it's like 26, 31.5. Oh, wow. This is actually quite high. So 31.5, Cecilia of Sweden. Honestly, this puts her fourth highest score ever which i'm excited about and i think well you know what all the numbers i give are always subjective but i feel happy about it so like the top four currently on the fredigan memorial scandal to scale fredigan does a 38 queen margot 37.5 joanna of naples 33 cecilia of sweden 31.5 and then we're getting down to um fifth place is a tie three-way tie agrippina Sophia Dorothea and Elizabeth Woodville all of a 31 like I feel I like this I like the way that this is shaping down like the top four Fredegund, Queen Margot, Joan of Naples, Cecilia of Sweden just women who just like did not give a fuck and like were able just through force of personality but also I would say some fortunately the people who they were around they were able to outsmart etc they ascended to the top of the scale. 
So that is Princess Cecilia of Sweden slash a little bit about the history of Sweden itself. Um, and I wanted to say, so I am excited about learning about people like Cecilia, people like Fredegan, people I had not heard about. I want to know who is like a lesser known scandalous person from the place where you live or the place where you are from, your city, your country, your territory, whatever you live. Like, please let me know because when I, you know, if you just like, sometimes I do, I'm like, what are some people I could talk about on the podcast? And I, I Google like, you know, scandalous women from history. And it's always the same, like five people. It's like Marie Antoinette. I'm like, yeah, I could do an episode about her, but like, I want someone less famous. I want like the fact that Cecilia Sweden has been here this whole time with a very lengthy Wikipedia page. And I've never encountered her until Kim mentioned it is like, come on. Same with Fredigand. I'm like, would, wouldst that I had known about her before. So please let me know who is a scandalous person from your, from where you're from. Somebody who's like lesser known, ideally would be great. Um, my DMs are open on Instagram at um, Vulgar History Pod. If you're not on Instagram, my DMs are also open on Twitter at Vulgar History. Or you can email me if you have like lengthier thoughts you'd rather email. VulgarHistoryPod at gmail.com. I truly want to hear from you. So please let me know who are some cool heroines. Um, and it's also helpful if you give me at least a little bit of info about like why they're cool, just so I know, just so I know. And if people send me like longer little writings, maybe I can like share those on the podcast. Because I will say there's been some people who have suggested very interesting subjects to me before. Like they've sent me messages or suggested them, whatever. And when I look them up, I'm like, oh, this is a cool person, but there's not enough to like talk about for an hour. Like I want for the podcast, I like to to talk for like 30 to 60 minutes about whoever I'm talking about. But if it's like a cool person and there's not that much known, but they are cool, like you just write me in a little description of what what they were like and I can read that as like a little mini episode or something. Who knows? Truly this the planning of this podcast like the life of cecilia i never know what i'm gonna do next but it's gonna be awesome so um other things to remind you about so like for sure i'm gonna do another season of the podcast in the spring probably so stay tuned for information about that but in the meantime um if you want more episodes of vulgar history type things slash me talking about stuff uh you can join my patreon page which is patreon.com slash Writer. So if you know about Patreon, you know it's like you pledge a bit of money every month and then in exchange you get extra stuff from me. Um, if you pledge at least $5 US per month, then you get every month I do one bonus episode on Patreon, which are called So This Asshole, where I talk about men who are awful. I'm This month I'm going to be doing Charles Dickens, who... You know, I don't want to spoil your annual reread of A Christmas Carol, but he was awful to his wife, and I'm going to be talking about that. Anyway, patreon.com slash Ann Foster Writer. Um, you can also support the podcast slash me by buying some of the merch, which is at vulgarhistory.store, vulgarhistory.store. Remember, you can use code TITSOUT for free shipping in the U.S. or TITSOUT10 for 10% off in the store. I'm thinking now I'd love to do some sort of Cecilia of Sweden inspired merch. Not sure what that would look like at this point, but I'll think of something cute and you can look in the store and it'll be there. Um, 
what else my book suggestions if it's like you want to know some good books to read about scandalous women from history if you go to bookshop.org slash shop slash vulgar history there's all the books that i've mentioned that i've used as resources are all there in my little shop and when you buy stuff from that link or in general from bookshop.org a little percentage of that goes to me which i also appreciate um and i guess that's everything instagram vulgar history pod twitter vulgar history send me your stories at vulgarhistorypod at gmail.com and yeah it's been a wild year i appreciate so much everybody who's been listening everyone who's been like commenting um recommending this podcast to their friends like i don't have advertising so clearly it's just like a mixture of word of mouth and algorithms that's got this 999 percent increase of listenership so i truly appreciate it um keep your mask on tits out for 2022 and i'll talk to you all next timey Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.